0: And after last show, I've decided that I want to bring more positivity to the socks in the Basement episode that is coming out right now. Like, I, I want to be more positive on this show. I've been very negative. I've been very upset. I've been very angry. I feel as though I've made my point. Like Jerry Reinsdorf, who's worth over a billion dollars and probably could have spent at least some $10 million of the hundred or so million dollars he saved during the rebuild could have come up with 10 or $15 million for more depth for this team. I wasn't asking for Trevor Bauer. I wasn't asking for, you know, so you know, a four-year deal for Ozuna. If that's what he got, we were never going to get him. I get all of that. But there were things he could have spent money on. There was a little bit bigger budget he should have given Rick on. He didn't. It's on him. I think we've made that point. I think that the Jerry's getting older and wants to win a championship and he cares, needs to have a little asterisk next to it that says as long as he doesn't lose a dime and and maybe makes a little bit of money in the process. So as long as it's said that way, I think we're all of an understanding. But the White Sox are a good team on paper. I don't care what the Pocota projections that just recently came out said – I'm excited about this team, and I want to kind of focus on that today. And we've got Jordan Lazowski from Sox on 35th and Diamond Digest joining us, so it should be a good show.
1: So you don't want to – I just want to recap. In this show, you don't want to say anything about Jerry needing to give Rick Han a better budget, having uh, given Rick Rickon the ability to spend a little bit more money, add to the team. You don't want to talk about any of that.
0: No, I don't want to talk about how he swims in a giant van of money – Uh, Just like Scrooge McDuck does and spits gold coins out of his mouth when he comes up for air. I don't want to talk about any of that. I want to talk positively. That's what I want to do. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. Check out the phone number. It's right on the logo for Socks in the Basement wherever you are listening. And also the website is there as well. They give you free estimates. They do it virtually or in person. They are going to make sure that your basement is going to be in good shape, especially as the cold will eventually thaw out. And you don't wanna have seepage and water in your basement, take care of it now. Don't make the mistake of having to replace everything in your basement. I'm on my third floor in this basement because of two floods, because I didn't take care of it, because I was stubborn or was like, oh, it won't happen again. And now I have family waterproofing solutions stop by all the time to check the sub pump and just see if there's anything I need to work on. FAMWS.com, check them out. So, yes, I wanna be positive. I want to talk to Jordan Lazowski today. I want to go over these Pocota projections. Pocota is like one of these statistical things that uh, they, they put out like a simulation. They look at the statistics from the year before, what guys are projected to do. They throw it all into a machine. They put it on on high, and then it spits out uh, these projections. The White Sox are projected to finish in third place seven games back from the Twins in the AL Central, according to Pocota.
1: You have to look at these Pocota projections, I think, with a little bit of a grain of salt. Every year? A little bit. They're not accurate. They're wrong. I I don't believe this for a second. Do I
0: think it's going to be competitive? Yes, I do. Do I also think that a team that, whether we may not like all the upgrades that we got, they actually did upgrade some things, are going to somehow end up seven games back from the Twins and only improve by essentially three wins? Because if you extrapolate out what they did in in 2020, that's what it would come out to. No, I don't believe that. But off. They're wrong.
1: Right. So whether it's a grain of salt the size of your table or the entire table salt thing that you're pouring out, either way, whenever the Procoda projections come out, you have to factor in whether or not they are looking at a team that has some consistency in their personnel year in and year out, right? And what they tend to do is I, I, I've always thought that they tend to favor teams that have Veterans that have a fairly lengthy track record and are a fairly consistent track record because they're a lot easier to predict. The looking at the Sox being in third behind Cleveland, behind Minnesota. Minnesota's roster has not had a big change over in a while. Uh, Cleveland, I don't know why Cleveland's that high. I, I honestly don't you know. Got why rid Lindor ahead of Lindor and somehow
0: you're still better than us. I don't get that well, at
1: all. I, yeah, that 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 doesn't make much sense to me. So they're seeing something there that I I don't know what they're seeing. But for the Sox, you have. Luis Robert, we know is going to be very good, who does not have enough of a track record in the major leagues for us to know because he has just the one truncated season. Same thing with Nick Madrigal. Those are two guys that are going to be playing every day for the Sox.
0: Same thing with the fact that it sounds like we're going to have Andrew Vaughn as your DH, which still boggles my mind. But that, I mean, God, if that's what the plan is and they don't start the regular season with him on day one playing for you because they play service time games... And then you end up like in the hole, and you have to come back because you have like just a terrible result from the designated hitter spot. That'll be maddening for the first month or so. I'm really curious as to what the plan is there. If Andrew Vaughn is as new assistant general manager, Chris Getz says is the guy that's likely going to be your DH. Is he the DH on day one? Because if they play games, who man, I'm going to have a hard time being positive. As much as I'm going to be positive today.
1: That would be a negative.
0: That would be a negative. So I'm going to stay away from that and stay positive. But
1: again, you know, if you're talking about Andrew Vaughn, you're talking about, and we've talked about it ad nauseum. He's got 55 games professionally and Pakoda doesn't know what to do with that. I'm sure. They're in
0: single A too. Professionally. Not major league baseball. It's single A baseball. You want to see single A baseball? Go to Crestwood. They have wrestling night on Thursday nights and you can get a hot dog for 50 cents. Go out there. That's what basically single A baseball is. So professional, yeah, sure, technically. I mean, technically, I'm a professional broadcaster as I sit on a microphone in my basement at a bar in my sweatpants right now. But technically, I'm a professional. That's how much of a professional baseball player Andrew Vaughn is at this point.
1: And I appreciate you getting dressed up for me. And I'd also like to remind you that Andrew Vaughn is at least one half of the tag team champions. There you go. So... (laughs) you know, he's got some great moves off the top rope and his rolling German suplexes are, are phenomenal. <laughs> but if you are going to project Andrew Vaughn as the day one DH, the one I'm likening him to is go back and look at Gordon Beckham's rookie year when he was basically a slightly above average hitter. And if Andrew Vaughn gives us that in his rookie year, gives the socks middle of the road, they're going to be fine because what he's replacing in effect last year was really bad at Edwin Encarnacion. It's the same thing with Adam Eaton and or Adam Engel playing right field as opposed to Nomar Mazara, A league average hitter is a completely different, you know, is, is a completely different story for the Sox last year if they don't have Mazara sucking up at bats there.
0: Let's talk about that real quick before you keep going because I, I, I immediately looked up while you're sitting here talking Gordon Beckham's first year, 2009. And for all the crap yeah. that he gets, it was really his best year <laughs> With the it, was. it was his best year. His first year was his best year. If you look at his OPS plus, he had an OPS of 808 and an OPS plus of 106, 100 is being average. And he was, he came in fifth and rookie of the year. If the White Sox get a guy that hits 270, gets on base at about a 350 clip, slugs at uh, about 460 to 500, and has an OPS from 800 to 850 out of Andrew Vaughn and he goes out there and plays and he's got an OPS plus of over 100 that's an improvement a massive improvement over Edwin Encarnacion he is going to be a better player you would assume but that's about what you should expect from Andrew Vaughn that's that's probably high end for him because you don't know what if he comes out and he any he, and he stumbles more than Beckham did well
1: but let's let's be positive shall we But here's the guy. So in 2018 and 2019, that stat line, that Gordon Beckham 2009 stat line, you know who that is in 2018 and 2019?
0: Eddie Rosario. He's Eddie Rosario. So you could make the argument either way. You could say, well, you can guarantee that, or we think Andrew Vaughn can at least do what Eddie Rosario does because we think he's a better hitter than what Gordon Beckham was back in 2009. So we believe that we can start with Andrew Vaughn. So then if that's the case... I'm going to buy it because I'm trying to be positive today, but I'm not going to buy it if he's not starting the season with the team on day one. If this is going to be a uh, service no. time fun, then I have an issue with it. If it's service time games, I have a problem with it. Like I still believe I've been saying this now for over a year. Michael Kopek is not starting on the team because he has, I want to say like 40 some days plus the year that he was out And he was on the Major League Baseball extended DL, like on the 60 day, and they just kind of keep him on there. So he has a year and like 40 some days of service time. If they keep him down for the first month and a half and he comes up, they've recovered a year of actual control on Michael Kopech. And they can very easily say, hey, the guy hasn't pitched in in two years. We've got to we've got to give him an opportunity now to kind of work through what he's doing. We brought this up when he opted out. By opting out, he had almost assured himself of losing a year of uh, control back to the White Sox. Because they could very easily say, we got to make sure you're you're ready to go. We got to make sure that arm's ready. We don't want you start right out of the gate. We're going to have you, you know, play with somebody watching you very closely early in AAA, and then we're going to get you up there after the first month or so. And it, it'll be impossible to argue with the White Sox on it, and they'll gain another year of control off of them. And we said this when they he opted out. He had lost a golden opportunity to make the White Sox have to give him that year. And now they can play those games. So they could play the games with Kopech. Hopefully they won't do it with, with Vaughn because
1: we'll be sitting around waiting on Vaughn, knowing that we have a guy down there that could perform. The the big, the big difference there is, is, as you said, there is an argument to be made anyway. Regardless of the service time, there's an argument to be made for Kopech going and getting back on a mound and getting a bunch of innings under his belt to try and shake the rust off, if nothing else, because he hasn't pitched in so long. Vaughn, unless he goes into spring training and just absolutely does nothing and is, is hitting in the one hundreds and just looks lost at the plate. If he comes in and looks anything like we expect him to look in spring training and he doesn't start on day one, there is no argument. You can't say like, remember the Cubs with, with Chris Bryant, that was the whole big thing. They're like, he needs a little more defensive work or he needs a little more. So you can't do any of that. He's going to be a DH. He doesn't need anything except to hit. And if he's hitting coming out of spring training and you still send him down, you're basically saying, yeah, this is our DH, but for right now we're going to go with one of these non-roster invitees or we're going to go with Ehrman Mercedes, who we don't really care about his service time, and we're going to have these guys on here. And then Vaughn will come up eventually, and I'm sure they will give lip service to, We'd like to see him be a little bit more particular at the plate or more aggressive or something like that. But everyone's going to know exactly what they're doing, including Vaughn, who will probably be openly pissed off about it. I would suspect.
0: Sacks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. On the phone line with me, always a treat when he stops by. He's from Saxon on 35th, Diamond Digest. He's a good-looking guy. Jordan Lazowski on the line. How are you, Jordan?
2: Honestly, I just come on nowadays just to get all the compliments. I'll be honest with
0: you, Chris. <laughs> Listen, I, was, <laughs> I wanted to tell you this. I was on the 108 podcast as, like, a guest recently, and I brought up this story that every time you're on my show, there's, like, one dude who just can't wait to get into the comments on Facebook or Twitter and tell me that you're not an analyst, you don't know anything. Like, you have one really hateful person out there who hates when Jordan Lazowski's on my show. Meanwhile, everybody else loves you, but you got like a... It's like the evil baby that Maggie Simpson has to deal with on The Simpson, and he's out there, and he's waiting to yell about you.
2: I'm just going to say it's only one? It's just one guy. <laughs> Interesting. I, I would have thought it would be a little bit more than that. But, hey, you got to start somewhere, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know what? It, it, if you don't have a hater, you're not actually doing your job. So exactly. So, projections come out, and they, they just come out, and now it's panic. And, well, oh my God, we're supposed to be third, and we're going to be seven games behind the Twins who's, who are going to win the division, and I really don't care. I think the only thing that the Pakoda projections told me, Jordan, and you, and you tell me what you think, is that... The White Sox may have had an advantage when this offseason began, but now everybody's caught up because they made their signings and the Sox just stopped. Their budget just ran out of money and so we're going to be in a competitive division.
2: I think that's a fair assessment. I I, I don't think I mean even if you look over what the course of this rebuild could be, might be whatever have you, it's it's not going to be the cakewalk we think it is as fans. It's it's never going to be, oh, the, Twins and, or excuse me, the Tigers and Royals are out of it, and we don't have to worry about them. Well, no, they're both rebuilding. They're coming. The Twins aren't going anywhere. The Indians seem to never go anywhere. So it's never going to be the cakewalk people want it to be or think it might be. Um, but the pr- projection systems are what they are. It's using past performances to make predictions about future performances. And, and the difficult part is as Sox fans, you see 83 wins, I believe, was the number. It's like, well, that doesn't seem right at all because you have all these great players and all these top prospects. The, the reality is they can only base it off of what they've seen. It's all statistically based. So Luis Robert having a bad second half last year hurt the overall projections for the White Sox. on Moncada having COVID all last year hurt the projections for the White Sox. Andrew Vaughn not really slugging all that much, and the only data they have for him from 2019 doesn't help the projections much. That When you accumulate that all, it's going to lead to projections that we as fans don't feel are right.
0: Does this kind of shine a light on how fans view their team and how the and how the team, how the White Sox are going to present the team to the fan base? Like, look how good we are, and everybody who did well last year is going to get better, and everybody that didn't do well last year, well, that was their bad year, they're going to be better, and everybody's going to improve, and nobody's going to regress because we've got all this talent when in reality, every team is saying that coming out of the gate. Every team is looking through rosy glasses. Every team is going to have a spring training report where they're going to be sitting around going, man, that guy looks like he's in the best shape of his life. Best shape of his life. He's throwing the ball with a, an extra tick harder than he threw it last year. Like, But in reality, guys are going to fluctuate and there's no guarantees, especially with a young team, right? I, I think you
2: just perfectly described what a fan is. It's We read what the beat writers put out and the work that they do and the connections they have with the team. And we naturally inflate our own expectations based upon it. But that's their job is to get you excited for the team to get you wanting to go to the ballpark, watch the games. That's part of their job. And it's no fault of theirs that Sox fans have high expectations and fans across the league have high expectations. Every team, like you said, is doing the exact same thing. There's going to be regression candidates. There's going to be players that outperform what they're projected to do and what they did last season.
0: You know, I had a friend of mine just uh, mentioned to me uh, today. Actually, I was on the phone with him. He told me he's like, "What did they really do? They they upgraded their closer. Uh, I can give them that. They changed who the right fielder with the one year contract is, in the hopes that he would be better than the one that they went out and got last year. Because that's essentially what Mazzara was. They weren't tied to him, and they." basically stood pat I mean they added a pitcher that was the one thing they really did they upgraded from Dunning to Lance Lynn and they upgraded their closer but there weren't an awful lot of changes made to this team is that too negative an opinion when you look at what the White Sox did in the offseason or is that spot on
2: well it it's a little bit of both as a whole if you went into this offseason saying this was the off season. The Sox were finally going to spend money. You're disappointed, and I'm not going to be able to convince you otherwise. And that's a fair take to have, as a fan, as an individual, what have you. But when you look at what stopped the 2020 White Sox from being successful, it wasn't the fact that Nomar Mazar was only hitting 200. It was it wasn't the fact that you know they didn't necessarily have the depth to get beyond uh, the first round of the playoffs. It was, they had to throw a crap shootout for game three of the ALDS, and part of what got them there and part of what their success was on the flip side was having such a good bullpen. You need a dominant bullpen in today's game, in the playoffs, in the regular season. Look at any team that's won recently, and you'll find someone similar to a Liam Hendricks who can give you outs whenever you need them. That was, it, it, it might be, what some fans consider a lateral move to move from A to Hendricks. The difference with Hendricks is his ability to pitch seventh, eighth, ninth, sixth, fifth, whatever have you, and to do it for multiple innings. That's an upgrade over Column Column A was historically good last year, but the the flexibility Hendricks gives you is an automatic upgrade in my opinion. And I think a lot of fans are undervaluing the value that Lance Lynn is bringing to the team. He's not the number three starter. He's the second-best starter behind Lucas Julio. And to have those two guys leading and Keuchel as your competent third, now you have three starters in the playoffs. Now you can get through those first few games of the playoffs. The Sox didn't have that last year. So is, is it underwhelming because maybe they didn't solve right field exactly how you wanted to or they're putting a lot of faith in Andrew Vaughn at the H? Absolutely. But at the same time, if you have a lineup with seven really good hitters, an eighth one that's pretty good, If we're let, let's not hype up Andrew Vaughn too much in, in this scenario. He's going to be pretty good this year. And then Adam Eaton is serviceable at the very least. There are very few teams, one through nine, who are just absolute studs. They address what I considered the most pressing need, and that was a top-of-the-line starter.
0: So I want to talk to you a little bit about what Major League Baseball is doing over the last, I would say, 48 hours or so. I have seen an awful lot of interesting things about baseballs being made a different way. uh, humidors showing up in new stadiums that they weren't in before. But yet we're going to give the players access to video again and blur out the catcher signs so they can't steal signs. They're playing an awful lot of games right now where they're saying, well, we want to deaden the ball enough that there's not a wide range of statistical anomalies when it comes to home runs. But we're also going to help the hitters by giving them video back again. But then we're also going to help the pitchers by throwing humidors in select stadiums that don't make sense. I mean, Boston is going to have a humidor. They're next to the ocean. It's humid in Boston. I don't get it at all. (laughs) I mean, like, there are some weird decisions. Has anything stuck out to you over the last couple of days that has made you go, what?
2: I think the deadening of the ball is a big one because, simply because it kind of confirms what a lot of people had already said. It was they had doctored the balls to increase the number of home runs in previous seasons. It kind of confirms what we already kind of thought. There's no reason to deaden it if you didn't do something doc, doctorate in the first place to see the rise in home runs that we saw in 2019 and partially 2020. That, that felt like a very interesting thing to come out. The other thing is the consistent battle over the universal DH or whether or not they're going to do these seven in double headers. I know they kind of determined most of it, but that, that universal DH still being on the table, it, it, that's the other thing that maybe it hasn't come out but it's more just so something that I I can't believe they don't have a decision on that yet. We are midway through February. It's a lot of DH type players who don't have jobs and would love 15 extra teams to need an extra hitter in their lineup. And I think not having a resolution on that and using it as more of a bargaining tool is kind of frustrating as a fan.
0: Jordan, I appreciate you jumping on the show. It's always a treat to talk to you. You can read glorious articles written by Jordan on Diamond Digest and at Sax on 35th. He's also a good follow on Twitter. Take a look at him, and I'm sure everybody except that one guy really appreciates you being on the show, Jordan. Thanks so much.
2: I'm going to have to convert him. I'm going to have to convert him. Thanks for having me on, though, Chris.
0: <laughs> Are you a CFO, HR professional, or owner of a company, big or small, and you're tired of the typical health insurance premium increases each and every year? Out of control premiums with no end in sight. Well, now there is the elite benefits formula. This process has saved employers and their employees thousands, or even tens of thousands of dollars each year. These strategies are avoided by most insurance professionals and the insurance companies definitely do not want you to know about them. But Elite Benefits of America is ready to help you. Just about all employers in the Chicagoland area can now take advantage of some or all of these strategies and start saving money. Butch Zimar from Elite Benefits of America wants you to reach out to him today. Visit EliteBenefits.net or call 708-535-3006.
1: If you're looking at what's going to happen with the young guys and talking about Nick Madrigal and finding his baseball acumen, the idea that Nick Madrigal is going to regress, you could understand where he's going to have some rough patches over 162 games. You could understand where Robert's going to have some rough patches over 162 games, but that's everyone, right? Right. The chances are that they are going to improve. You don't have guys with high pedigrees come up and start to regress very often, right? Usually they build on things and they come back and they get better and better until they reach whatever they're, whatever they're going to be as a major leaguer. Lynn is a huge improvement, right? That That is a great move. Adam Eaton, I know Adam Eaton's made out of glass. I know the guy doesn't spend a lot of time on the field by healthy. comparison to... Doesn't spend a lot of time healthy. But he's also a guy that is not going to be asked to be out there for 162 games. There's there's going to be no expectation that he's starting all 162. I really do believe that he is going to be in something of a platoon with Adam Engel. I think that he's going to have a lot of days off and he's going to get rest. And I think Larusa is a guy that is going to understand how to use veterans who are made out of glass maybe better than Ricky did. And, you know, frankly, that still is an improvement and what's the worst case scenario with Adam Eaton? He spends a bunch of time on the DL and you have to go out and find another league average right fielder. That's not going to be hard to do. They could probably pick up an Adam Eaton clone on the pile right now. They
0: could put Angle out there in right field.
1: And they could put Angle they out could there.
0: Put, this goes back to the thing that I pointed out last week. And I'm going to try to say this in the most positive way. Please be positive. If that was your budget, you could have saved the $3 million on Rodon and the $7 million on Eaton. I would have kept Angle in right field. and I would have spent the $10 million someplace else. I wouldn't have put the pressure on Vaughn. I would have found a hitter. And, and that's what I would have. I would have spent my money and I would have added three guys. I would have added Lynn through the trade. I would have, added, I would have been fine with the shutdown closer that, as Lazowski just pointed out, you can move him anywhere, especially in the playoffs. When Tony La Russa needs an out in the seventh inning, you, you're going to see him come walking in. The Aussies coming in from out there to get three outs, boom, 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 because that's yeah. the critical moment of the game. And, and you still have Bummer on the back end to close out the game. If you wanted to do it that way, you can you can situationally use your very good bullpen. So I would have said use that money more on the the extra bat. That that's probably what I would have thought instead of going with Adam Eaton. But you know, look the the roster is what the roster is. If we assume that the things that we're hearing from the White Sox are are to be believed, then. Andrew Vaughn is going to be your DH and your bench is going to consist likely of a battle between Zach Collins and the non-roster invitee, Jonathan LaCroix. Mendick and Garcia are likely on the bench along with Adam Engel. And that's likely what happens. There might be some battle. You might see something change in there, but that's probably the likely look of the White Sox on opening day. And Garrett Crochet is going to be a two or three inning relief pitcher, a la Josh Hader. And that's gonna be kind of cool. Yeah. The the Milwaukee Brewers have had a guy in Hater that they can have close a game, they can have come in and pitch three innings, they can have him come in to get one guy he matches up against, and he's such an effective pitcher, he gets a ridiculous amount of holds. He's that thing that just puts people off balance, and again, it, it speaks to the fact that there's so much flexibility for Tony la Russa. When it comes to how he wants to use his bullpen, that he can sit there and say, all right, I want to bring in Hendricks because I need a righty to get these outs. I need guaranteed outs, but I can bring in Crochet late. And much like what the Brewers did for several years there, they essentially had three guys that were collecting saves. Their main closer, but then you would see Hader get saves. You would see things get moved around, and that that, that is what they're going to have.
1: And you're going to, if you're going to see that, now I, I compared because I felt like these were two teams that were trying to do the same thing the Sox are doing and make a leap out of a rebuild, and we've gone over a lot of what San Diego's done versus the Sox. We've gone over what some of the things Toronto's done uh, compared to what the Sox have done, and if you want to talk positivity... Look at San Diego's bullpen and tell me that you trust Drew Pomerantz over Liam Hendricks or the other veteran guys that, had, that had, do not have the stuff that the Sox bullpen we have, is the have bullpen. this year. We have the better bullpen. By, by far.
0: We have the better bullpen, and that would be the only thing that's going to save us in a postseason. When you, if Let's say the White Sox reach the promised land this year, that we'll be sitting around in six months laughing about the fact that we are worried about the budget, that this team yeah. comes out and everybody looks like a genius. And the Sox, we will have pettit.
1: scrubbed all these shows and blogs. Right. from, yeah. from, from no, the. No, no, I'll leave them
0: up there. I, I'm willing to admit <laughs> when I'm wrong. Okay. The, but, but we, we get to the world series. I don't think you can beat the Dodgers. I, I don't think you can beat the Mets. I don't think you can beat the Padres when I first look at it. Cause I go, they're deeper. They're better. They, they, they have less what ifs than we have. But the one saving grace of the White Sox is, man, they got a bullpen. They got three really good starters and a bullpen. And that's really what you need when you get to a seven-game series. Three really good starters and a bullpen. And what if Kopech comes back and he's what you hope he could be or Cease becomes fixed all of a sudden by Ethan Katz or whatever? Then that's all icing on the cake. So if they stay healthy... And they get into a, a, a playoff series, and they're not some wild card team that could be one and done, kicked out of it. However, this whole thing is structured this year because I still—you never know—they could—they could change this in about three days how the playoffs are going to be. But when they get into a series, they are far better prepared for it than they were going into the series at the end of 2020. They—they they have the better—they have a better manager. They have a guy who's been there before. God, I doubt. I really hope that we don't have an injured Aloy Jimenez. Because if he would have been healthy, they probably would have made it through that first round. And you've got guys that have that are going to be improved, and you've got better pitching. And that was your Achilles heel. So if anything, they addressed the things that were the most glaring issues. But I also have this little part of me in the back of me that says, they addressed that, so they're going to do better this year. But then they're going to find another issue that they should have addressed. And it's like this team isn't going to be forward-thinking enough that, you know We need to be able to get over that final hump and win a World Series until they get there and realize, oh yeah, we probably should have added another bat or another starting pitcher. We probably should have planned for this, but we didn't. That, I guess, is my only fear. But there's the, the, the White Sox should go to the postseason, and the White Sox should be a contender all year long to win the pennant and possibly win a World Series. With, with all the bellyaching and worrying and negativity, the most positive thing that I can say is that I can't wait for baseball season to start. And very soon you're going to hear me start yelling on this show, Ed. I want fans in the stands and I don't like to, to talk yes, politics, but we, I'm going to start yelling. about. I'm going to start yelling about the mayor of Chicago if she's not going to let some sort of fans into the stands. I'm going to get very angry very quickly about that entire thing because I see other other places able to do it safely. And there's no reason why you can't put 15 to 20 percent capacity inside that place and allow the White Sox to set up something where they have limited menus and waiters and waitresses because we'll be giving jobs to people that have been out of work in the service industry and they should be able to go out and hire people to cover different sections and you basically are in your seat you wear a mask when you walk up and go go to the bathroom and walk back again I've been in outdoor dining and even indoor dining already, there's no reason why they can't have fans in the stands. And that very soon is going to become one of the focuses. I'm probably going to do a whole show on the statistics of it because I'm going to get very frustrated if we're not able to be there on opening day. I think the White Sox expect to be there opening day. My dad has had conversations with the ticket agent that handles our season tickets. And it sounds to me like they are still planning to have you in the ballpark on opening day. I would expect there are negotiations going on right now. It might be something we talk about with James Fox coming up on uh, this weekend show. He's going to be on. He also is going to talk a little bit about the prospects. You know, Gavin Sheets, I think, is a intriguing guy to talk about. Here's a guy who knows that he's not going to make it as a first baseman, who switched to outfield, and there's good reports for him. You know, who's the guy that's going to break onto the team? Who's the guy that I'm watching in spring training that might grab one of these spots? But he also seems to know a lot of the inner workings of the team. And I'm going to ask him, what do you you know about this? What what are their plans? Are they they having negotiations and talking with the city at least? Because they've got to start figuring out what are they going to do with fans. Because I want to go back. I'm ready to go. I want to go back. Let's, Let's get back.
1: She's not going to be able to, the mayor, is not going to be able to hold fans out of the stands in Chicago if the majority of the other major league cities are letting people in. Because it's just not going to be justifiable. And frankly she runs the risk of the Ricketts starting to threaten to move out of the city again. And she runs the risk of Jerry starting to threaten to move out of the city again too, because if they're going to be throttled by this and if there's worries that this pandemic is going to go on beyond 2021 uh, you're going to start to see them be really upset with the city of Chicago. And I, you know, I I don't, I don't think that there's going to be an issue. I think we will be in the stands day one. And frankly, 20% is about what they usually draw. In March yeah, exactly. when it's 25 degrees. Besides opening so, day, that's
0: what they draw. Let's all be honest, yeah. that's what they draw besides opening day. Socks in,
1: Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks
2: in the basement. Heard everywhere a podcast can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.